Take your Bibles and turn to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, this morning we continue our study on spiritual warfare and we're talking about worship. Worship. Every Christian is a spiritual being and we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when we do, that is one way offensively to enter into what we've been talking about the last several weeks, and that is spiritual warfare. We've looked over the last few weeks at the Christian warrior out of Ephesians chapter 6. We talked about putting on the whole armor of God. I wonder how many of you are putting on the whole armor of God every day. Anybody out there? I hope that many of you are. And then we talked about shackled souls set free. We talked about the Gerizine or the Gadarene demoniac. And when Jesus got through with that man and cast out all that legion of demons, the Bible said he was sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. How many of you want to be in your right mind? Anybody want to be in your right mind? You got to get right with the Lord. And you got to be set free from every demonic strong man. And then we looked at the spirit world. We talked about that God is a spirit. Mankind has a spirit. Angels are evil spirits. And we talked, or, or angels rather, are not evil spirits. They're good spirits. And demons are evil spirits. We talked about the whole spirit world. Then we talked specifically about what the Bible says about angels and then what the Bible says about Satan. But today I want to talk about the warfare of worship. The warfare of worship. You might not think about worshiping God as a spiritual form of warfare, but worshiping God is how we go on the offense. It's how we score. It's how we gain ground in this warfare that is spiritual. The psalmist said in Psalm 22, verse 3, that God inhabits, literally, he enthrones himself upon the worship and the praises of his people. When you praise God, when you thank God, when you thank him for what he's done and praise him for who he is, that's worshiping God. And when you do that, you build a throne, if you will, that God sits upon. He enthrones himself upon our praises. And when God is on his throne, on our praises, God works on our behalf. So Satan hates worship. Satan hates worship music. Satan loves to come up with music that is anti-Jesus, anti-God, anti-Holy Spirit, anti-Bible. And that's why there's so much crummy music all over our world right now. He doesn't want God being glorified through worship, but God is going to be glorified in worship. God is looking for people who will worship him. We'll talk more about that later, but let's talk about the warfare of worship. First of all, let's look at some biblical expressions of worship. Notice I did not say Baptist expressions. I said biblical expressions. How many of you know that we're supposed to be biblical? Does anybody believe in that? Well, I hope you do. The ones that didn't raise your hand, I hope you didn't hear the question. All right. I'm going to give you 10 different ways that the Bible says you can worship the Lord. First of all, you need to bow before the Lord. 
This to me is the fundamental posture of every Christian. Well, to be bowing before the Lord. I believe physically it's good to bow, but I also believe mentally, spiritually, it's good to bow before the Lord. We're going to read today about Jehoshaphat. And don't worry, you don't have to spell that to get into heaven. But Jehoshaphat, one of the greatest men in the Bible, he was a king of Judah, and he bowed before the Lord. And what happened was three pagan countries. You know, even if you do right, did you know you're going to have problems in this life? Here's a man that did right. I mean, he did right. He was loving the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He cleansed the whole country from all pagan worship. And still, the enemies of God came after him. Three pagan nations attacked him. He cried out to the Lord. God heard his prayer and promised to fight his battle. We'll read more about it later on in the sermon. But in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 17 and 18, he says, God said, you need, he's talking to a prophet. He said, you need not fight in this battle. Just station yourself. I like that. Take your stand. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear. Don't be dismayed. That means don't be discouraged. Fear and discouragement are the two primary weapons of the devil. That's why the Bible constantly says, don't you fear and don't you be discouraged. Then he says, tomorrow I go out to face them for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. He was worshiping the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord, bowing their heads. They sang and they praised the Lord. As they were marching out toward the enemy, he sent the choir in front of the army. Maybe the choir didn't really appreciate that, but he did. And they worshiped the Lord. And the Bible says that God gave them a great, great victory. You need not fight in this battle. He bowed his head. God changed things when he praised the Lord. Would you even today, before you go to sleep tonight, tonight bow your head before the Lord and worship him and God will fight your battles. And then another expression of worship is kneeling before the Lord. When you kneel, you submit, and you literally become vulnerable. You become vulnerable. You say, Lord, you are worthy of my praise, and I put myself in a vulnerable position. I'm kneeling down because you are greater than I am. The Apostle Paul had this in mind when he wrote in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So one of the best ways you can worship the Lord is to kneel before him. Now let's go on to something that's a little bit louder than kneeling or bowing, and that is clapping your hands. Clap your hands. Now Baptists are not the greatest when it comes to clapping in rhythm, all right? But, but that's okay. Just go ahead and clap anyway. It's all right. Psalmist said in Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2, read this with me, please, from the screen. Oh, clap your hands, all people shout to God with the voice of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, that is, revered and worshiped, a great king over all the earth. Clap your hands, all ye Pentecostals. Is that what it says? Oh, clap your hands, all you 
people, all people. We're supposed to clap our hands to the Lord. God's Old Testament people clapped their hands and worshiped the Lord. No doubt it was loud, and it's still a viable biblical expression of worship. Another expression of worship is to lift your hands, to lift your hands. 1 Timothy 2.8, therefore I want the men, and he wants the women to do it as well, in every place to pray. And while you're praying, he said, I want you to lift up holy hands without wrath and dissension. When you lift your hands to the Lord, you know what it simulates? It simulates the Old Testament practice of offering an animal to be sacrificed on the altar. That's what the picture of lifting holy hands is. It points to God, not to the worshiper. A lot of people say, well, I, you know, when I lift my hands, I feel like people are looking at me. Look at me. You're not drawing attention to yourself. You're pointing to Christ. Nothing wrong at all. In fact, there's everything right about lifting holy hands. Don't you ever tell somebody not to lift their hands unless you want God to get after you. There's nothing wrong at all. In fact, there's everything right with lifting holy hands to the Lord. And then another expression of worship in the Bible is shouting to the Lord. Psalm 100 talks about that. It says, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. All the earth. Everybody is invited to shout to the Lord. Some say, oh, that's not reverent. I beg to differ. It's just the opposite, it is totally reverent to shout to the Lord. You don't mind shouting at those football games, do you? Or some other kind of game. People shout at all kind of athletic events and go to church and act like they're frozen stiff. Sometimes people call Christians the frozen chosen. Well, I want to tell you, if you could be in heaven right now, they're shouting in heaven. If you don't like shouting, don't die. <laughs> they're shouting. They're glorifying God. They're praising God. Heaven is not quiet. When you get to heaven, you won't say, I want the quiet section. It's not there. It's not there. You're supposed to shout praises unto God. Hallelujah. Amen. You know what they're shouting? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's shout the name of Jesus on three, all right? And you don't have to turn my mic down. I'll just add to it, all right? One, two, three. Jesus! Amen. Let's give him praise right now. Give him glory and praise. Amen. When you feel the devil around, just shout the name of Jesus. He'll be gone. He's not afraid of you, but he's petrified of Jesus. If you want to worship the Lord, shout out to him. And then another biblical expression to the Lord is to sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. You say, well, I don't sing good. There's no bad singing. You say, well, I don't know how to sing in key. Just sing to the key of Jesus. Don't worry about how you're sounding to people. Who cares? Some of you have had your song stolen from you because of fear or worried about how you sound. Don't worry about that. Just go ahead and let her rip. Just have at it. And if somebody complains, tell them to go. There's a bunch of seats out here. Just go ahead and find another one. Don't be ugly, but I mean, just say, I'm going to sing. I'm not mad at anybody, but I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing, singing that is full of joy. Why would you not be full of joy? Has he saved you? 
Then be filled with joy and sing. Has he healed you? Has he provided for you? Has he been good to you? Has he protected you? Has he delivered you? Has he set you free? Has he comforted you? Has he written your name in the book of life? Then sing to him. I don't get it when people just sit out there and just keep their mouths shut while we're singing. Again, they're singing in heaven. If you don't like singing, don't go there. And then another way to praise the Lord is to play instruments unto the Lord. There are some denominations that say musical instruments are in the Old Testament, but they're not in the New Testament. Guess what else is not in the New Testament? Air conditioners. <laughs> but aren't you glad we're using them right now? Amen? Good gracious. Besides, the Bible says that in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with what? Say it out loud. Psalms. All the psalms were accompanied by musical instruments. So don't tell me musical instruments are not included in New Testament worship theology. They are. They are. I mean, why would God worship with instruments in the Old Testament, worship with instruments in, the, in heaven, and not worship in, in, with instruments in the New Testament? Doesn't even make sense. The psalmist says in Psalm 150, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with harp and lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with stringed instruments and pipe, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Amen. Playing instruments. Now, here's one. The Bible says we can dance unto the Lord. You say, why'd you have to include that? It's in the Bible. Second Samuel 6, 14, Daniel was dancing before the Lord with all his might and he was wearing a linen ephod. You might get so caught up in worship that you dance before the Lord. People sing pagan songs and dance to pagan songs. If the pagans can do it and God tells us to do it for God's glory, we can dance before the Lord. It's kind of like clapping. Probably not going to be totally in time. And then there's another expression of worship, to stand before the Lord. It had been so long since the people of God had heard the word of God in Nehemiah and Ezra's day that when they heard it, they stood up. Nobody said, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? They just started reading God's word and they just automatically in worship stood up. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, Ezra opened the book in the in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people said, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. They bowed low. They worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I mean, there's all kind of worship in there, Amen. All kinds of expression in worship just in those two verses. It's been so long since they had a chance. To, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people in the world today who would love to be right here worshiping God openly, freely, with nobody harassing them. And then the greatest, in my opinion, expression of worship is to lie down before the Lord. 
I love Abraham, and before he was, his name changed from Abram to Abraham, the Bible says in Genesis 17, 3, Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. Some of you, God, you don't hear the voice of God because you don't take time to get still and be quiet. Just get on your face before God. Great way to pray. Great way to worship. Just get down on your face and have your quiet time. Read your Bible on your face. I mean, all the way out. To me, it's the greatest expression of worship of all. Well, these are just a few. I'm sure you could find more, but I gave you 10. That's all I have time for. Let's talk now not only about expressions, biblical expressions of worship, but facts about worship. Worship is heavenly. That is, it's done in heaven. And I could use so many different texts, but I'll just give you one example in Revelation chapter 4. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they don't cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God. That word worthy is a very interesting concept. It means and worship is an interesting concept. Worship means worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. Worship. God is worthy of our worship. That's what it means. And it's one of the supreme activities in heaven. Worship is heavenly. Worship also attracts God's presence. It attracts God's presence. Jesus said to the woman at the well, John chapter 4, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? Say it out loud. In spirit and in truth. Why? Now, now don't, don't miss the next part. Why? For such people, the Father does what? Seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is seeking worshipers. God is... Look, God is moving right now over this congregation. He's moving all over Memphis. And he sees who is just sitting here taking it in. No offense, but he's not looking for you. He's looking for the ones whose heart are connected to him. And who are worshiping and learning and hearing from him. He's not going to waste his time on people that come to a meeting like this and think about everything else but the Lord. No offense. But if you're here just doodling or thinking abstractly or thinking about your week and all you've got to do, how big and important you are, there's somebody a lot more important than you here. It's sure not me. It's Jesus Christ. And if you're worshiping for him, you know what? He's looking for you. He's looking for you. Worship attracts God's presence. He inhabits, he enthrones himself upon the praises of his people. So worship him. And then worshipers face opposition. 
The world doesn't understand this kind of stuff. Living godly starts with worshiping God. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12 on the screen. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Don't fear that. Don't worry about that. It's, it's a privilege to worship God, and it's also a privilege. The Bible says at the very end of Acts 5, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. Don't be afraid of all that. Don't go looking for it. I mean, don't be a martyr, but, you know, don't worry about being persecuted. If it happens, it happens. Don't worry about it. God will give you strength if it happens. If it doesn't happen, don't worry about it. But I want to tell you that all true worshipers will eventually be persecuted in some way by worldly people because the world is not a friend of Jesus Christ or his followers. It's always been that way and will always be that way. Worshippers face opposition. Worship, worship God. You need to worship God before he delivers you, before the deliverance. How can you not talk about Paul and Silas when you talk about worship? They'd been beaten in Philippi for casting a demon out of a woman who was a fortune teller. They'd been beaten and locked up. They were in stocks. Their head and their arms and their feet were in stocks. And about midnight, the Bible says something happened, Acts 16. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. I want to ask you, if you were bleeding and beaten and locked up like this, would you be singing and praising God? Some of y'all didn't even sing today sitting in these nice cushioned seats. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake. See, God was listening too. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open. Everybody's chains were unfastened. They fell off. They didn't praise God when their chains fell off. They worshiped the Lord and then their chains fell off. Worship God before deliverance and then worship God after deliverance. I love it when Moses had prayed and God divided the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land and then the Egyptians came after them and the Bible says he prayed again and God closed the sea on their enemies and they washed up on the shore. They were all dead. And Moses said, you know what? I think it's time to praise the Lord here for a minute. Let's don't just keep walking. Moses and the sons of Israel, Exodus 15, sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God, I will extol him. We worship God in faith before our victories, but we worship God in fact after our victories. Worship the Lord not only before deliverance, but after deliverance. And then worship accesses God's wisdom. People who worship God, God talks to them about things to come. Jeremiah 33, 3. Oh, you need to know this verse. God is speaking through his prophet and he says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things 
which you don't know. How many of you need God to talk to you about something in the future? Anybody out there? What do you need to do? You need to call on him. You need to praise him. You need to worship him. He said, I will answer you. I will tell you great and mighty things that you don't know. God knows everything. You don't know much of anything. You think you know it. But we're very ignorant when it comes to the future. You don't know what's going to happen to you five minutes from now. <laughs> I've got a preacher friend. Somebody asked him, what's your five-year plan? He said, five-year plan? He said, can you imagine Moses in the wilderness? Somebody asked him what his five-year plan was. He said, I don't have a five-minute plan. He said, I'm looking at that cloud over there. If that cloud moves, I move. If that cloud stays, I, cl I stay. I'm just looking at the Lord. Five-year plan. That's, that, I'm just telling you. What's your five-year plan? Well, I, my five-year plan is every day I'm going to wake up and worship God. That's my five-year plan. And I might not be here five years from now. If I'm here five years from now, I'll be doing the same thing I was today. I'm going to go to bed on time, get up on time, spend time with the Lord, worship the Lord, praise the Lord, serve the Lord. That's my five-year plan. That's my rest of my life plan, whatever that is. <laughs> five-year plan, my soul. Worship dooms God's enemies. Psalm 105, 15. Don't touch, God's talking now, my anointed ones. Don't do my prophets any harm. Don't you touch my people and don't you touch my prophets. Worshipers, they're the anointed ones. And whoever harms God's children, God will come after them. You are doomed if you harm a worshiper of God. And then worship honors God. Worship honors God. First, Timothy, First Samuel 2, 30. Those who honor me, God says, I will honor those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Let me just go on and give you the others very quickly. Worship gives us strength. Nehemiah, and by the way, that's not the way they pronounce it in Israel. They call it Nehemiah. And I told the guy that told me that, I said, if I said that, everybody would laugh. So in Memphis, it's Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah said, don't you be grieved. Read this next part with me. You've said it all your life. Here's where it is. Read it with me. For the joy of the Lord is your the strength. That's why the devil's always trying to steal your joy. Because when you don't have joy, you don't have strength. When Ezra preached, it had been so long that God's people had heard the scriptures, they wept. But Nehemiah stood up and said, hey, stop all that crying. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Worshiping the Lord gives you strength. Worshiping the Lord gives us protection. Proverbs 30, verse 5. God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. 
That's what Paul and Silas were doing at midnight. They were worshiping the Lord and God protected them. God can get you out of a mess. He can get you out of jail. Did you know that? And then worship gives us peace. One of the greatest verses in the Old Testament, Isaiah 26, verse 3. Read it with me. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Again, stayed upon means to lay down flat upon God. He'll give you perfect peace. Well, those are some facts about worship. Now, we've seen biblical expressions of worship, facts about worship. Now, let's walk through 2 Chronicles 20, and let's look at the warfare of worship very quickly. First of all, notice in the first two verses in 2 Chronicles 20 that worshipers will face enemies. Jehoshaphat had led in consecrating the whole nation of Judah back to the Lord. Everything he did, he did to draw people to the Lord. And even though he did that, he did the right thing, but he still faced spiritual and physical opposition. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after that, after this, that the sons of Moab, the sons of Ammon, together with the sons of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat hadn't done anything to them. They just came after him. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, that is, in En Gedi. That's down by the Dead Sea. Churches and Christians who try to do right today are going to be persecuted. Obeying the Lord will not keep you out of trouble. It will get you into trouble with the world. Worshipers will face spiritual enemies. Notice the second thing. Worshipers are to live in prayer. Now this is where Jehoshaphat shines. Worship is the purest form of prayer. Prayer warriors worship God and then seek his help. Look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now stop right there. How many of you have ever been afraid? I have. Anybody ever been afraid? What do you do when you get afraid? Do you start talking to your buddies? Do you start going to your old patterns of Self-defense, do you circle the wagons and say, I'm going to protect myself? Good luck with that. Or do you go to the Lord? When you have a problem, do you go to the Lord? Do you go to him in prayer? Prayer warriors worship God, and then they seek his help. Look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. Say that with me. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. Now, dare we read the next part? He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Well, Brother Steve, I take medicine. I can't fast. Yes, you can. You can fast at least one meal. Well, truth is, I don't want to fast. Now you're being forthright. Even if you take medicine, you can fast from some foods. There's a way to fast if you want to. 
Fasting puts your prayers in high gear. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He was afraid. He prayed and fasted. He did without food to focus on the Lord, to talk with the Lord. He stopped eating physically, the whole nation did, to start feeding on the Word of God and to pray. Verse 4, so Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. His prayer started with worship and praise to God. Look at verse 6. He said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. He's worshiping God. He's praising God for who he was and who he is. Then he worshiped God and he continued to praise him. Look at verse 7. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it. They have built you a sanctuary here for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress. That's what prayer is, crying to God, and you will hear and deliver us. Now that he had worshiped the Lord, it was time to ask God to move on behalf of his people. Look at verse 10. Now behold, the sons of Ammon, the sons of Moab, Mount Seir, whom you did not is let Israel invade. When, when they came into the promised land, God says, you leave these people alone. And he's reminding God. God that's what a lot of prayer is, reminding God, not that he needs reminding, but just saying to God, his promises. You did not let Israel invade them when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them. They did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you've given us as an inheritance. Then in verse 12, Jehoshaphat prayed one of the greatest prayers I've ever heard. Read it with me, please. Read verse 12, please. O our God, will you not judge them for we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Is that not one of the greatest prayers you've ever seen in your life? Isn't it good just to get honest with God and say, I don't know what to do. But that doesn't stop me from worshiping you. My eyes are on you. Lord, I have cancer, but my eyes are on you. My marriage is not right, but my eyes are on you. I've lost my job. My child is rebelling. I'm afraid of the future. My best friend just turned on me. My spouse filed for a divorce. I don't have many friends, but my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. When you don't know what to do, just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Verse 13, and all Judah was standing before the Lord with their babies, with their infants, their wives, their children. When you face a problem, what you need to do is worship the Lord and live in prayer. And then worshipers hear God's voice. Let me give you a very simple phrase. God talks to people who talk to him. The reason some of you don't hear from God is you don't talk with God. When Jehoshaphat and the people of God talked with God, God talked with them. He sent a prophet and gave him a word from heaven. Look at verse 14. Then in 
the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah. You say, how do you know pronounce all those names? I don't know. I'm just saying them, and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. I don't know. The Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. There it is again. Don't you fear. Don't you be dismayed. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be discouraged because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up. Now, listen, God is into details. Did you know that? And he gives them information. You know what the greatest, the greatest contributor to a victory in battle is information. And he gives them this information. He says, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. I'm telling you, this is way before you had all that stuff on your car to tell you how you're getting going. I don't know who that guy was, but he saved a lot of arguing, didn't he? Amen, when he put that in your car. And then God gave another great promise. Read it with me, verse 17. One of the greatest promises in this chapter. Read it with me. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. You ought to get to know that verse. And Jehoshaphat and the people worshiped the Lord. Look at verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah, the inhabitants of the earth, fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They were shouting. They were kneeling. They were lying down before the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord because he had spoken a word to them. Worshippers hear God's voice. And then worshipers enjoy God's protection. Look at verse 20. They rose early in the morning. They went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood up and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets, and you will succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. And they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and the Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry and they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. He said, Brother Steve, do you really believe that with all my heart? 
Sure, I believe it's in the Bible. Sure. Can you imagine? I, I just, I've got a little bit of an imagination. Can you imagine the king saying, hey, choir, y'all come here. Hey, praise band, come here. Y'all go in front of the army. God told me that if you'll go before the army and praise God, something good is going to happen. People say, why do you put singing and praising at the beginning of the service? That's where it belongs. Amen. I hear you. Amen. <laughs> Worshippers enjoy God's protection. And then one more thing. Worshippers celebrate God's blessing. Now, when God does something good for you, you ought to thank him. When anybody does something good for you, you ought to thank them. Somebody makes you a bowl of cereal, even if it's not good, even if it's stale, you ought to thank them. They did the best they could with what they had. Look at verse 26. We need to celebrate God's blessings. Then on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. Don't forget that name. For they were blessed, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named that place the Valley of Barakah until today. Do you know what Barakah means? Blessing. God turned their valley of battle into the valley of blessing. Amen. At least one person got it. Amen. And God will change your battles and turn them into blessings. That's all a problem is. A problem is something that needs to be prayed over so that it can be turned into a blessing. A valley of Barakah. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. We've lost our joy, too many of us have. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, trumpets to the house of the Lord. The dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the land when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Don't you know that was the talk all around them? Don't mess with those people. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God gave him rest on all sides. 